Hi, and welcome to Forest of the Future, the podcast series where we talk about what is evolving in FSE and what innovations are underway in FSE. But today, we're going to talk about partnerships, good partnerships, bad partnerships, failed partnerships, and those partnerships that might just surprise you. I've invited three people to have a conversation with me on this. They will be introduced in the interview, but I promise you that all of them have heaps of experience with partnerships. We're going to talk about how you know who to work with and who not, how partnerships evolve, and what their biggest concerns are for partnerships moving forward. The audio for this episode was recorded live during the International World Congress for Architects, UIA 23, at the FSC Lounge, supported by the EU Life Program. So if you hear a bit of background noise here and there, that would just be because we're in a giant building with lots of people and stuff going on around us. But luckily, we also had an attentive audience right in front of us with lots of questions at the end. Enough introductions, let's start learning from them. Welcome, all three of you. Thank you. So today on the panel, we have Kim Carstensen, who is a CEO of FSC. Then we have Mette Boy, who's from WWF Denmark. And we have Ulf Johansson from IKEA, who's head of global forestry and supply. Is that Wood supply and forestry, yes. Wood supply and oh, yeah. so close. Okay. Well, thank you uh, for coming here. And Ulf, perhaps we can start with you. What was your first experience with partnerships? Yeah, that's a big question, uh, Blue. I think my first experience was uh, actually a bit painful because uh, I'd like to believe that we are an entrepreneurial company in IKEA. And uh, that means, of course, also stretching the goals, mm-hmm. trying new ways of working and so on. And uh, that m- means also that sometimes you fail. Looking back on those failures, of course, we learned a lot from them, so I, I'm not regretting them. But, but it was very much about not really doing the homework and, and securing that uh, the companies or entities we decided to partner with was, did share the values and the principles uh, that should be in a partnership. We call it strategic fit in IKEA, that we really uh, have the, the fundamentals in place. Or, Oh, then that you rather were maybe seduced by two uh, nice promises and deliverables that were not based on uh, capabilities from our parties. And of course, that points back at ourselves as well. Mm-hmm. What was it that went wrong there? Very concrete examples where we had failed when we when we uh, misjudged the the partner's ability to actually deliver what they promised. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this, this goes across, this can happen anywhere in the sector. And that we didn't share then the principles and principles in a partnership. For me, that is like transparency, for example, being open. Because problems always occur, right? When you work hard, when you have high ambitions, but you need to be open with them and have a solution-oriented uh, approach then. Mm-hmm. And that will never happen if you don't have the long-term objectives together. One of the Examples that comes close to my mind, there were really big governmental organizations that, that we maybe trusted too much. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they say the same about us. Uh, <laughs> 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 but to really do this uh, homework together, that I think we have learned that that is, that is critical. Do you then have an example of a partnership that actually really worked? I, I do, for sure. I think it is the biggest and longest forestry partnership in the world. That is the one we have together with WWF. We have been working together for 20 years in, I think, 19 different countries, working on a huge variety of different projects to to support responsible forest management, Mm. identifying high conservation value forests, helping small holding farmers in Indonesia to develop sustainable ratan farming and it's it's a lot very wide variety of projects and of course here again we fail now and then uh, but but then we have also learned how to handle the failures to to uh, not point fingers but to sit down and actually solve them and is that what then makes a good partnership for you the fact that you can handle failures inside the partnership i i would say so mm. because if we never fail then we have too low ambitions and you're nodding matter do, do you feel the same between the or in the relationship between ikea and, and wwf 
Absolutely. Uh, and I think uh, I was nodding in particular when you said, uh, and I think it's an important point when you said it's a 20-year partnership. And that actually does make a, a, a huge difference because it's something we're in for the long haul. It's something we've made a commitment and we are then able to say, well, the ambitions are high, but we can also, uh, we have time to tackle when the partnership is not working and we need to discuss. The long-term partnerships done with respect that I find that this uh, this partnership is, is, is being made in, mm-hmm. uh, that makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that for you, the shorter partnerships are, are more difficult to actually get to work? Sometimes the shorter partnerships are a bit more complex in a sense. Uh, the big ones are complex too, but they're complex in a sense that, and it lies in the word of, and in, in the sort of in essence of partnerships, right? That you need to get to know each other. And that often takes quite a while in my experience. You want to come in before I get... Very quickly, because sure. I, I agree, Mette, absolutely. The longer you work together, the more, of course, you get to know each other. You, you become more uh, efficient. Mm-hmm. But it can, it can be a long-term partnership where you only work now and then, so to yeah, say. Sure. I, yeah, like I give an example. Young activists. Mm-hmm. That's a forum that we, we work with. But it comes, maybe it happens every second year when there is a certain topic where we need to give, get some more disruptive input, if I put it like that. Mm-hmm. Fantastic partner uh, for that particular purpose. Then, do you then return to the same young activists? Yes. Yeah. Okay. They don't continue to stay young. Then you have to. Well, depends on who you compare with. <laughs> for me, they stay young. Actually, well, the thing that I got curious about is now that you have a twenty-year relationship between WWF and IKEA, and you have many different countries involved in this kind of partnership. How much autonomy does the individual countries have and how much is top-down managed from a centralized partnership that really says, well, this is where we're going to go, this is where we're going to go? Seen from the Danish point of WWF Denmark, we are focusing on a water stewardship uh, journey with IKEA. Of course, it's top-down in the sense that it's a priority for IKEA and it's a priority for uh, an, an, an agreement with the Swedish headquarters. But the everyday business and the way of sort of tackling how could we go about it, what do we what do we see, it's very much decentralized. The people at, at our office working with that, they're in close contact to their IKEA contacts and they, they sort of uh, deal with the everyday business uh, very much uh, on their own. And I think that's a good way of structuring it. Uh, you need to have some kind of uh, mandate and... and you need to be able to maneuver right in in the everyday business because otherwise it's not gonna it's not gonna be efficient. It's gonna be too much talking and too much planning and too much finding your way. So, but it's taking a while as well. Not that it's been difficult, but it's taking a while. And I think now we're sort of we're getting there and it's it's working very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think of course somewhere someone needs to decide and prioritize mm. of all the project ideas what yeah. what gives most impact for the effort, so to say. And that will normally then be on some kind of higher level in the organization, but but to propose the projects, that I think the way we're working is very, very, almost always bottoms up. Mm-hmm. There is no one better than people working in Vietnam who decides what is the priorities in Vietnam, for example. Mm-hmm. Is that how we work with F- in FSC with partnerships as well? In FSC, it happens both bottom-up and top-down, I would say, in the sense that many partnerships happen at the national level with a local partner, an NGO, or a company, or a group of companies, or the government, and some come from, from international. We don't have that many from the international side. Some of them work, some of them don't work so well, and it's something that we will definitely increase in uh, in the future. Okay, let's let's dive into those that don't work so well. So you don't have to mention names, but I just let's get the skeletons out of the classes. Well, I mean, what, what are some of the biggest like partnerships failures that we've seen in episode? I think you've seen some of the biggest ones where we see disappointments in terms of the achievements are partnerships that we tried to do with governments, where it then turned out that the government was not able to deliver what this person, the minister or the chief of cabinet or something that we had made the partnership with couldn't deliver through the bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've seen that a couple of times. And that's sort of one where we need to be sure that there is actually a commitment and an ability on the other side to do what is promised in the partnership. And that's not always the case. Another example would be where we were working on some technology developments. We and the partner were very much in agreement on what we wanted to develop together. But what we hadn't done was to make sure that the world outside was ready for the partnership and ready to understand what we were proposing and to accept what we were proposing. So we got all bogged down in being great on the technology front, but not really on then selling 
the product that came out afterwards. So in terms of the governmental partnerships, and if you have a minister saying, we're going to go this way, what kind of due diligence can you actually do as a partner? Both of you were talking about it's difficult sometimes with governments and they promise something and they, can, they can't well, deliver. We could look at the history mm-hmm. and see how, how great a track record does this government have in terms of actually delivering on promises. We could probably have talked more with other stakeholders on the ground who would be able to tell us what to watch out for, mm-hmm. what who to be sure was on board with this partnership before we actually trusted it ourselves. So who in this, if it's a government, right, who in the state administration, who in the ministry needs to be on board, needs to be committed, we need to talk to them also and make sure that they are on board. There needs to be something in it for them. So it needs to be not only with the top. And would that, you think, require local participation for the ones who talk to these people who are below the ministry? It would completely necessitate local knowledge. Uh So we would need to have people on the ground who knew the people that we want to partner with. It would necessitate local um, interaction so that we would be able to talk to the right people all the time. Uh Yeah. Is it the same for you in IKEA? Do you have to make sure that you have local knowledge, local partnerships? Yeah, I think it's it's uh, absolutely critical. And, and luckily, of course, many of the questions we are working with goes across mm-hmm. politics, because governments comes and go. That that we know. Uh, and of course, it's it's not good if, if all of a sudden a new government steps in and has completely different uh, objectives. Mm-hmm. So that's maybe sometimes something to keep in mind as well. Yeah. I'd like to get to you, Meta. If you were to give us a surprising partnership, something when you tell people at a dinner party, oh, we're actually doing this, they go, oh, I didn't know you were doing that. Do you have such an example in terms of a partnership? I do have several, actually, but uh, just to, to pick out one, it's our partnership with the Venux company, the Danish company that makes rooftop windows. Uh, many of you probably know them, but they're well, it's, it's a da- Danish uh, family-owned uh, company. They've been producing since 1941. The surprising part of that partnership is that it's, uh, it's a 20-year-long partnership with a very high ambition. It's actually just one out of two companies in the world having that ambition. The ambition is to, um, to, to make up for the carbon they've, uh, they've uh, em- emitted uh, in, in scope one and two since they started their production in 1941. And they want to make sure that they've contributed to the same amount of that many tons, 4.5 million tons of CO2 by the end of 2041. They want to say when they turn 100 years that they've uh, made sure that their their historic CO2 emissions are actually dealt with. That's one of the sort of most uh, evident examples, I think, of uh, surprising partnerships. And just to clarify, you say it's a 20-year partnership. So is it 20 years since you started the partnership or did they, from the point in time where they said, we're going to do this, commit to 20 years into the future? They committed. We started the partnership in 2020 and it uh, it has a 20-year uh, lifespan our partnership. The calculation of the CO2 they emitted goes back to 41. Mm-hmm. Okay, wow. Was it difficult to get them to commit to 20 years? Yes. Yes, it was difficult <laughs> <laughs> and extremely complex. They um, asked us and we said uh, the ideas they had in the beginning was, no, it doesn't really work. There will be greenwashing. They returned and said, okay, can we co-create this? And then it was actually a co-creation, finding out how could we scope this uh, in a way that met their ambitions, but also uh, matched the way that, w- that we are working in the world mm-hmm. and with our projects. We're going to return to the topic of greenwashing and the risk of greenwashing in partnerships uh, in, a, in, in a little while. But uh, before we do, I'd like for each of you to take your notepads and write down a word for me. And this is the first of a couple of quick ones that we'll do where you get to you have one word or you can say multiple words, but the audience have to be able to read what you, what you write. Um, so please uh, tell me what is the most important reason to work with partnerships? <laughs> okay, so we have three yeah. variations of the same. Okay, so we have kids well, we and and Meta and Wolf both We didn't plan this we before. We did Kim, can you expand a bit on that? Results, what do you mean? I mean that together we can do things we can't do alone. Mm-hmm. 
And if we have the right kinds of partners on the right kinds of topics, that will enable us to actually achieve things that we wouldn't be able to do alone. We are a certification scheme. There are things we can absolutely do, but we don't certify forests. We don't manage forests. We don't produce stuff. So if we don't work with people who do these things, which are what makes our standards real and make them matter for the world, then we have just done something. Somebody needs to do the work based on what we develop. Mm-hmm. And Ulf, you're saying impact. What do you mean? We have always realized since a long time back then that we can never do things alone in the way that we can do by, by working together with all kinds of partners. It's NGOs, mm. it's certification mm-hmm. systems, it's uh, government organizations, the research community and so on. It's amazing how much we have learned in IKEA by working with mm. organizations like yours. Mm-hmm. It has increased the competence and broadened the competence a lot among people in my team, for example. It helps us in our everyday work to have the, the broad or holistic view on the, on the challenges we are facing. But then, of course, also when we are going to implement the results, it's halfway done already. If we have uh, had a, a number of partners working on the same thing, it's well known and uh, society is ready for what's coming. Mm-hmm. So it builds another kind of speed and confidence in what we do also and when many more organizations are involved. Mm-hmm. Can you give an example of like what are the kinds of things that they learn when you say that in your team you've actually learned stuff? Well, I, I would say one thing that, that is, uh, for example, supporting uh, small holding farmers. Mm-hmm. In, in sustainable forest management or sustainable management of land in general. They might not always even be able to, uh, to read an FSC standard. Mm. Uh, if you, you are a farmer in Indonesia with two hectares uh, of land that should give you the food you need and on top of that maybe create some other crop for sale. Uh, and to, to help them then to manage their land in a better way but then also taking the next step and started to work maybe in the community to add value. Maybe when you talk to each other, you realize that you have enough to start a small rattan production unit in the village to add more value and create jobs and incomes and so on. Very often, small holding farmers, wherever they are in the world, they are very much in the hands of the big industries. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, they don't see always the opportunities that lies, lies ahead of them. And how does what is it that your team then learns there? Is it is it the perspective from a smallholder or? It is, it is very much. I would say the the perspective and of course the challenges because mm-hmm. many many of the challenges smallholders sits on they are the same in Sweden and Denmark as they are in in Asia or, or Africa, for example, mm-hmm. to get their voice heard, to to get the, get access to a market without being depending on middlemen and so on. Mm-hmm. And that can be difficult to to see from a sourcing office in Sweden. It, unless <laughs> it can be very difficult, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Meta, you also wrote impact. Do you want to put a few words to that? What does that mean to you? Yeah, well, and our philosophy and strategy is that uh, companies have a huge impact on the nature crisis we're in. We have a 2030 target of restoring and protecting 30% of the nature, the biodiversity in the world. So we are quite in a hurry. And if we uh, want to, to reach that target, we need to work and, and be in collaboration with those who actually have the chance to, to have an influence and have an impact. In that sense, it's quite simple in a, in a way that, of course, we need to work with corporations and, and companies. And what we see in, in practice is that we do have an impact because when those two worlds and skill sets, they meet each other, we can actually do quite influential things. Uh, now we discussed on the Belux partnerships but the, and the IKEA partnership as well. But another example is, is it's smaller uh, partnership with uh, the Danish company called Novozymes mm-hmm. uh, doing uh, producing enzymes for washing detergents and things like that. Um, we have a five-year uh, partnership with uh, Novozymes in China. So they, they are in control of what they emit and, and their production. But we are collaborating on trying to get a collective action around that water basin in, in uh, the Shanghai area and contacting the government, the civil society organizations, all the different stakeholders in, in that area 
to go together to make sure that they are not a clean fish in a dirty pond, as we say, to, to find solutions that are actually much wider. And we can do that via that Novo Science Partnership. And that's an impact that it's not, it's not feasible for Novo Science to do that. You need to have local government contacts. You need to know how you work your way around. You need to know the other uh, companies that our WWF office might work with in other partnerships. And at the same time, we only have that access because we have Novo Science on the side. So you're saying that your whole strategy is built around partnership. Has the way that you work with partnerships and your view on partnerships in WWF, has that changed over the years? Yes, it's changed very much for being mostly philanthropic uh, partnerships and then more marketing-focused uh, partnerships and then moving into more transformational partnerships. So that's sort of the development we've been, we've been seeing over the years. Could you give an example of each of those so that we put, what does it mean when it's a philanthropic partnership? Well, a philanthropic partnership, we still have those, but it's it's a company, it could be a foundation or a a regular company saying we want to donate some money for for saving this iconic species in uh, Ecuador. So that's our philanthropy. We want to, 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 uh, to give you these money and then hopefully you can report on the impact and the results that that project uh, has. Then there are more sort of the marketing partnerships where we uh, try in collaboration to build a consumer awareness on plastic uh, pollution, on uh, textile, the problems with extremely intensive uh, con- consumption of textiles, mm-hmm. something like that. More consumer awareness and uh, that would be a marketing partnership. And then we have the transformational uh, partnerships. And that's where we, in collaboration with a company, say, well, uh, we're going to enter into this partnership, but we are focusing on the long-term transformational elements of um, of this work that we're going to do together. And we need you as a company to, to commit to that journey, that change, that... Uh, that transformation and that's uh, much more complex and with a much higher risk for the company as well as for us as a um, NGO but it's much more promising and when we talk about impact that's where we have the big mm-hmm. big impact actually I, I get curious Kim and I I haven't prepared this question so I don't know whether you know the answer but because I, when I look at the partnerships that FSC has had over the years, they, they seem to follow that same pattern. If I hear you go, here's a bucket of money. Uh, we now want something that's marketing claim to now we want to change things. In your experience, what is the tendency now? Is it because what you said, Meta, was we have to convince the company we want to do a long-term thing. It's, it's a longer-term partnership here. In your experience, is it FSC approaching companies saying we want this? Or is it now the companies approaching us saying we want to make a big difference? Can you help us? I think it's both. Uh-huh. I think a lot of the initiative actually comes from either government or from private corporations. I think this trend of moving from wanting money to wanting exposure to wanting to change the world is something we're all seeing. Uh-huh. I mean, we're seeing the climate crisis, we're seeing the biodiversity crisis, we're seeing social crises, and we know that things have to change fundamentally. Uh-huh. And therefore, we're all looking for that transformation. That goes for companies, those those who really want to do something. It also goes for some governments, and it certainly goes for the NGOs and certainly also uh-huh. for us. I mean, one example of that, I would say, we have, I would call it a partnership with USAID to work together on finding ways to enable indigenous peoples to both better their livelihoods and also to secure their rights and finding ways to change the way that they can get a voice in the world. Because we believe that in itself will be transformational. So it's not for the money. It's not for being known. It's actually for enabling them to transform the world. I don't think that could have happened 10 years ago because neither we nor they would have sort of looked at it that way. Uh, maybe the indigenous peoples themselves did, but they did have not have enough voice. Mm-hmm. Now they do have enough voice, and that's what we want to make even bigger. Mm-hmm. Well, if is it the same? I'm, I can't help but wonder, what happens in the, the corporate world? You're now the corporate representative here. Mm-hmm. Do you actually get approached by other companies saying, should we join forces and make an impact together on XYZ agenda? Or do you go to the NGOs and from their... Join the I will say it's both. Uh, traditionally, I, I think it has been more 
uh, via NGOs. Mm. I think there has been a resistance for corporate companies because to, sometimes, of course, we are competing as well, right, to talk to each other. But I think we, we realize more and more that we can do more because we don't compete on everything. I mean, mm. sustainability, climate, biodiversity, all those big challenges that the fa- world is facing, they are common challenges and we have no reason to uh, not strong arm with each other. So, uh, from IKEA as being a retailer, a company meeting the end consumer, we are definitely working with other retailers more and more, all specific topics where we see and I think actually you have one in red here, Velux, yes. uh, yeah. <laughs> who we are partnering with, for yeah. example. Well, we can see that we can become stronger together where we have very, very mm. common objectives. Kim, you wanted to come in? Yeah, I just wanted to say another trend that I'm seeing is also that these one-on-one partnerships, which are now of a different nature, most of them than they were in, in old days, mm-hmm. are also, in my mind, being replaced by or complemented by coalitions Mm -hmm. so that partnerships lead to coalition work. I mean, our partnership with IKEA has now led to, I would say, a coalition around biodiversity and understanding the biodiversity impact of FSC certification, something that we don't know enough about. We need to know more. We want to know more. But we can't just do that ourselves. We can't just do that with IKEA. We need a broader coalition of companies. We have a technology consortium in, in the west coast of the U.S. where different companies come together and say, okay, what are the problems? Let's put a problem on the table. What can we each contribute to solving that problem, which is a different way, but will also lead then either to individual partnerships on specific solutions or to, you could say, joint solution building. And that coalition thinking, I think, is going to be very important going forward. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can't help but think it. Maybe I'm, again, unprepared questions, so it's okay to say no, but but where this the idea for so, so the one of the specific projects that you're talking about is fast-tracking biodiversity, which was announced at Montreal, I believe, which is IKEA, Tetra Pak, Kingfisher, and FSC, trying to figure out how can we actually measure the impact we have in forests. Where does the idea for such a project origin? Who comes up with that? Where is it? Is it just you guys talking between each other, or is it just staff members of yours? Or where does such a project actually get built? I think, first of all, we, we have a view on who are the like-minded companies. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of starting point. Who should we talk to if, if a certain project idea comes up, for example? And then there are certain alliances already, like the ones you mentioned, that could be a forum to bring this up. So um, I think it's a very much an evolution. The, the, the foundation is there somehow. And when there is a new idea coming up, you, you start talking to your like-minded and then they, they know someone else and so on and then it evolves to something mm-hmm. which we don't really know from the beginning. Let's do another quick round. So, the world isn't getting any simpler. We have permacrises, we have multiple global challenges impacting each other. We have constant attention from social media, so the pace of everything keeps going up, 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 and results have to get there faster and faster. What is your biggest concern when you think about future partnerships or partnerships in the future? Kim was fast. <laughs> okay, what do you have? Lack of cohesion, complexity, and deglobalization. Okay, I'll start with you, Kim. Lack of cohesion. FSC is based on an idea that we want to find solutions together. Mm-hmm. That, that's what brings our membership, the environment, social, and economic players together, wanting to find consensus around a common solution. I have a big fear that in society, there is increasingly a set of tendencies to not want to find solutions together, but to want to push your solution together, not have the dialogue, not find the consensus, and just fight each other instead. And I'm very worried that that sort of consensus model that at least we are based on, and that I believe is what we need to be able to do to find these solutions, that that is having very big challenges in the years to come. Mm-hmm. Do you have any ideas on how we might combat that? Become credible in actually delivering solutions. The constant social media attacks is about greenwashing, is about we don't trust this, is about all sorts of other things where we don't actually deliver. So I think we need to be able to prove that we can deliver results in this way. I think we can, but we need to be very focused on results and to be doing that rather quickly. Mm -hmm. 
I guess it's sort of linked to your word of deglobalization. Want to put it's words? very much linked. I think uh, I don't know if we can, I can put it better than Kim already did actually, but but uh, of course this w- what we try to do in IKEA that is to use our business, our volumes, and our global reach to drive the transformation that we want to see. That we all, all agree on that must must happen. Uh, and when then other other dimensions comes in, that that cuts off this opportunity. Uh, which can be all kind of you know, political uh, incentives or, or, like we see now, even war in the worst case that, that hinders uh, using, using business as a good way to, to uh, drive change. That, that is a big concern for me. And it can be everything from uh, trade barriers, uh, export-import bans happening in one country, then you can be almost sure that there will be a counter legislation in another country uh, that doesn't create any value for anyone uh, but that is of course very impactful when you want to drive this change and this is a big concern for us we want to show that big companies can also be good companies and it is the big companies can that really has the power and the volumes to drive this change but it has to be based on uh, some kind of global consensus yeah, and i guess the the, the natural thought pattern in a, in most people's heads is big company equals bad. That's what you hear sometimes, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you yeah. hear sometimes. Small companies are good. <laughs> what about you, Meta? You wrote complexity. Do you wanna I expand I wrote complexity um and it's um I, I'm the conservation director, right? In in uh, in a nature focused organization. And as I said, uh, my motivation and uh, my colleagues' motivation is that we have a nature crisis and we have uh, very ambitious targets uh, in, in 2030. And um, and, the, and we hear on an everyday basis, of course, of the, the different uh, uh, consequences of the way that we are living, climate-wise, nature-wise, and so on. So that's sort of my reality. That's what we are trying to try to tackle. And in that task, we hear again and again now we tackled and we are tackling the, the the climate crisis. Do we really need to discuss the biodiversity crisis now? Mm-hmm. Can we wait a bit? We have a social crisis as well. There, there's so many crises. You said it yourself in in the introduction. So that kind of complexity, so many crises. Can we tackle that at the same time? Can we do it in the speed that we need to? That kind of complexity, uh, I find, is is um, could uh, could worries me in the sense that it might be, well, now we've done this, we cannot do the next thing. So I think the the big challenges, and that goes for corporations as well as and organizations like uh, WWF and FSC, everybody else, is to try to um, to to find combined solutions, show that it can actually be, if not simple then be manageable to actually tackle the social side of it, nature side, biodiversity side of it, and the climate crisis all in one concrete, hopefully somewhat simple solution. And that's what we're trying to tackle. And I think we've come a bit of that way. We work with something called nature-based solutions, where we actually try to to show and have good results uh, showing that nature can actually be the way of, of trying to solve the climate crisis as well. And it's only done in collaboration with uh, with local people. So I think that complexity, it's sort of, uh, and I think it's very human that we can only uh, we can only deal with that much. And if we uh, have the sense, well, the climate is um, is killing us and then we have to, to deal with another crisis, I think we're just going to go uh, blind. Can't help but think, Wolf, it must be something that you deal with quite a lot in, with with your team and with the complexity of your different supply chains. I mean, I don't know other organizations, I think, or the corporations that have so many different partnerships and so many different tracks that you're running and, and they must all interlink and interfere with each other. How do you actually choose where to focus and spend your energy? Oh, it's difficult. I think I, yeah, it's difficult. I need to think a little bit, but yeah. I mean, I think I think uh, f- first of all to to concentrate or kraft as we say in Swedish. That that has been a part of our let's say ways of working always uh, to to not grow wide and thin and try to be everywhere, but to really uh, put our efforts, like I said before, where we have the biggest impact. Uh, and uh, it it has to be, I think coming very much from the bottom then uh, and working in partnership to understand like I said 
learning from organizations like WWF where were all really the big challenges in the world and then put them in the look at them through the lens of IKEA where can we uh, where do we have a big footprint where can we have make a difference actually then I think we need to acknowledge that we we don't sit on all the uh, uh, ideas either so that that is there needs to be a group of these really big hopefully impactful projects that we are running for a long time that is it hopefully involving more more uh, stakeholders that can be copy pasted uh, over the world and so on but that also need to be a a pool of startups if you put it like that because we don't i don't know who is our biggest partner 20 years from now on which project that is going to deliver the most impact or which challenges that are the big up maybe we have a mm. feeling of that but there could be other things coming up as well that we need to address again the entrepreneur has to be here in this as well to mm-hmm. you know dare to explore new things step out on thin ice do you have like a framework of things like this is what we're going to focus on these are the kind of partnerships that feeds fits the teams that we're going to work on that you can evaluate new ideas up against absolutely of course when when we meet partners or potential partners out in the world of course we we need to meet them with our sustainability strategy in the back of our head mm-hmm. our forest positive 2030 agenda for example also so we can when i say looking through the lens of ikea that's what they meant that we we know already what is our biggest uh, directions or strategies going forward mm-hmm. as a, as some kind of base for where we should try to find a new next impactful projects. Okay, so you have like a 2040 plan? We have 50 plan. Absolutely. Uh, we have a 2030 plan for forestry, which we developed with all of you involved and many more, mm-hmm. of course, and then the climate direction for 2040 and so on. And also a uh, range direction, because I think whatever we do will fail if we don't have customers who, go, who goes to our stores. So, so this, I guess, is a little bit of our role to combine uh, the small holding farmers I mentioned before and the many people that want to buy the product. Mm-hmm. Th- that has to, you know, be collected. What are you doing? What's the path that you're on as IKEA? Well, the path that we're on now is to become much more transparent okay. to the customers, to, to the society about our sourcing of materials. And we started with the biggest material. We have been working for two years with this. Uh, we launched a new wood and forestry website uh, in February okay. where we are telling much more than ever before about how we work with wood sourcing, where the wood comes from, why we use these certain species, what is our innovation agenda for forestry, mm. uh, and so on. We were a bit nervous of that, of course, when we launched it, uh, and uh, but we have got extremely good feedback, and this is just just uh, encouraging us to become even more transparent going forward. And, if you were uh, nervous, what was the motivation behind doing it so then? Well, I think there there would be something that you know could create criticism. For example, mm-hmm. it could be comments that we were not doing enough in our sourcing, but also doing enough to call ourselves transparent, because mm-hmm. there was a limit to that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, for now, but but uh, this is the start. Mm-hmm. 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 Trying to be more transparent. Just yeah. to be yeah. concrete with an example. Mm-hmm. Before the war, we were sourcing 1% of the wood we're using from Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And it just happened to be also 1% of the wood that was harvested in Ukraine. And that we are now telling the world on our web. But I would be really curious to know where do the other 99% go? Mm. Yeah. A lot of it into furniture that's not IKEA. <laughs> or something else. I don't know. But but it would be nice to know. Mm-hmm. So, so if we can create some kind of uh, peer pressure in the industry to establish another level of transparency i think then, then we have done something good mm-hmm, mm-hmm. agreed is this a tendency that you were seeing too kim that that the companies are wanting more information more data to be more transparent 
it's uh, it's a mainstay in our global strategy that we want to demonstrate the value and benefit of uh, of forest certification. And the way of doing that is to be able to talk about the impact, both social and environmental, economic also actually, and to know where these things are coming from. In our global strategy, it's also something that governments now require of us in the sense that the EU deforestation regulation will require mm. wood that comes into to Europe to actually that the consumer can know where it comes from. Where was it harvested? When was it harvested? Etc. And and those are things that that are crucial in in our strategy and in our daily work that we can deliver that information. And it's very very good to know that companies like IKEA are then themselves wanting to use that information, both what they can provide themselves, but also I think what they can get from certification schemes in terms of being able to uh, to demonstrate these things. And actually, Meta, this is uh, perhaps sort of the bridge uh, to a question to you, because I can't help but think, now we have IKEA, and IKEA wants to be transparent and want to show, well, where are we sourcing? What are we doing? Not all companies are going to be like that. And not all companies are likely to have a good track record. What does an organization like WWF do when you are contacted by an organization who might have a sketchy background, might have a sketchy backtrack of what they've done in the past. How do you know whether they're genuine when they contact you and say, we want to do something, we want to have an impact on the world? What do you do in that situation? Two comments. Uh, I think with, when it comes to transparency, what we see right now is, is a major regulatory push uh, that's just about to to enter the stage. Uh, you mentioned the, the deforestation legislation, uh, European legislation, but there's also corporate reporting, uh, sustainability directives uh, coming into force. And so there's a major regulatory push on transparency, transparency and we need that. Because not all companies are, are willing to to take those steps, as you've uh, mentioned, IKEA have done on on uh, on that part. So that's a good thing. But but to answer your question on what do we do when a company um, um, asks us, can we do a partnership? We have uh, three lists. Mm-hmm. We have one list which is a blacklist of companies that we do not w- want to work with. Uh, companies are based uh, where their their main uh, production is based on on fossil fuels, uh, oil and gas uh, companies. Then we have a grey list, and that's a very big list actually. And then we have the white list, uh, and that's sort of the easy peasy ones. But the grey list is uh, with um, the majority of companies that uh, we cannot deem them out and say, well, we're not going to work with you, but we need to enter a dialogue and a very serious dialogue. We need to enter due diligence process. We need to to test, is this actually a commitment uh, that goes uh, into the heart of, of the cooperation or is it something sort of more superficial? I think your point in the beginning on the commitment is very important here as well. Because that way we we have experiences that it sort of it fades out. It was uh, a good idea, a new employee uh, wanted to do something great, but then it faded out after a short while, and that's that's not a good partnership. We have these lists, and we have long checklists of what should be in place. Lots of dialogue, lots of back and forward, lots of meetings um, on uh, as top level level um, as as possible in order to get the. The, the management commitment uh, and then the contract negotiations when we enter into that phase. I'm going to come to the audience questions in a second, but I'm just curious, Kim, do we have such a rigorous process in FSC as well? But do we have lists? We do have lists, yes. We do? Oh. Or we do have criteria for companies, at least in terms of whether we would take money from them or not. Uh-huh. Um, and we would have some yeah. of the same companies yeah. on, the, on, the no, on the no side. Um, so yes, we do have that. We don't have formal lists in terms of who would we be willing to work with if it was not about getting money, because that work could articulate itself in very many ways. But one thing we do have, and that's something that is extremely important for us, is that we now have developed the methods by which companies can show whether they're serious and they can actually begin providing remedy for conversion that they've done or forests they've destroyed or social values that they've destroyed. So we now have the tools by which they can actually prove that, yes, we want to shift from the bad side to the good side. And that could then become the basis for a partnership. But first, they need to prove that they're actually doing something and that they're taking it seriously and providing results. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I really hope that that whole framework 
gets on the ground and working. We have a question from the audience down here. Hi. So we talked a bit about how companies can participate from different scales. So my question is, how can smaller companies participate early on? So you do do good from the beginning mm. instead of sort of forgetting to be part of the whole conversation to then get on a blacklist or mm. what could happen. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we work with different size of companies. Uh, uh, one example is a smaller company called Slow Coffee, actually doing uh, coffee production in, in Africa and in, in Asia uh, as uh, agroforestry. Uh, so having the coffee plants uh, within the forest and in collaboration with the local communities. And we've been a part of that and our Finnish uh, CIS organization have been in partnership with that the Danish company right from the beginning when there were, I think, two or three people and now they're, they're growing, growing, growing. But they've been part of that conversation from the beginning, trying to um, to find out how could we help each other in, in finding... Uh, Uh, the, the local context. How could we? Uh, how could they use uh, the partnership with WWF in sort of opening some of the doors that they needed? So we're very keen to be a part of sort of a process uh, of of growing and finding uh, the common ground in in that uh, in that process to to get it right from from the beginning. And just to add, I think. It probably doesn't start with the desire to be a partner. I think it starts with the desire to do good. Mm. And there are other ways to do yeah. good yourself by being certified, by following some some regulations, by following some best practices and things like that. And, and that you can do and you can describe it. And then you might earn the right, so to say, to actually become a partner with one or the other entity that would that would be relevant for you. How does a small company become a partner of IKEA? The way to do it is to show strong will and the commitment and, and uh, the values that we have in a good way. Then uh, we have a, we have a separate team called New Business that is only focusing on starting up new suppliers, starting up new markets, mm. of course. And then we we have to be quite hard on them that the sustainability part cannot be forgotten when you mm. when you start to do things right from the beginning, so to say. For our own sake, we should do better because there is a lot of great ideas and entrepreneurs out there that we want to work with and we need to find them. There's another question. Yes, yeah, just a quick one. Would you say that transparency is the new value? Yeah, I, I believe that. Openness and honesty, that has been one of our core values for the last 80 years. So it's mm. always been there, but but to really to show it, to, to walk the talk. I think that 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 uh, that will be a way to build competitiveness, and and that is what our customers are telling us. They were very clear that they expect corporate companies to become more, much more transparent going forward for them to to take uh, conscious and conf- confident purchase decisions. So, uh, I believe that that will be a way for companies to become more competitive. Mm-hmm. Kim, you wanted to come in? Yeah, just to add that, I mean, we, as a certification scheme for forests, work a lot with forest owners and forest managers who are, of course, making money out of the wood that they sell. And and by having it FSC certified, they sometimes get more money or they get a better market for it. But some of them, at least nowadays, see that the value that they will be providing in the future and the, what they will get their money for is not only the timber that they sell. That's one value. But the other value is the information about the forest management, the biodiversity conditions, the workers' conditions, etc. And they can sell that information along together with the wood and thereby making the wood more valuable and get more money out of it themselves. And the hinder is this, of course, then. If we can't give access to markets to small producers or small forest owners in Africa, for example, then then it will be very hard to to create what we want to do. Okay, we're slowly going to wrap up. I have one last uh, quick round for you guys. Well, the, the question was sort of preempted, but let's let's give it a go anyway. If you were an NGO, a company, big or small, and you wanted to uh, to start up a partnership, what is the best piece of advice that th- the three of you could give to somebody who wants to start up working with partnerships? Okay. Commitment, honesty, patience. Okay. <laughs> Let's start with you, Mette. Honesty. <laughs> the reason why I wrote honesty is because uh, when you when you start up uh, a, a partnership, it's extremely important that you're 
you are aware of yourself, but you're honest with your in that partnership on what you want to achieve and what, as we discussed earlier, what are your strongholds and where do you need to to um, be open? I have some shortcomings here. We need to to find out uh, a way that we can uh, we can work around that. And I think that honesty, it's not you can't take it for granted uh, even in the beginning because you are. You're ambitious and you're sort of sometimes a bit sort of worried as well uh, on can we trust each other and can we uh, can we enter into this this in a good way. So that kind of honesty, creating a, a space for that, that's a key ingredient in making a good partnership. Mm-hmm. Keep off. You said patience. Yeah, it was a boring word. I realized that, but but it is the truth, I think. And I wanted to write one more word and that, that was to engage because mm-hmm. I think it is important to to understand how big corporates or companies like IKEA is, is functioning and working. Uh, so talk, oh, use open sources, talk to people at IKEA, whatever. So you, you're proposing. It can be a very small small thing, but that somehow it it addresses uh, our priorities and our, our challenges. So And then normally we work, at least if we talk about sustainability partnerships, we, we work on quite long uh, projects portfolios so it's not always possible for us from a simple resource perspective to to start immediately it takes some time sometimes so uh, some patience mm. stubbornness or hard mm. hard <laughs> hard work being annoying is in a- on, on the edge of being annoying yes yes <laughs> did you want to come in on this as well my i agree but i was actually reminded that i think uh, one word that i would have liked to being able to write as well as courage because yeah. I think that kind of patience and, and knowing inside an organization or cooperation that it takes patience and it takes a long time fully yeah. agree and <laughs> I think also actually it's easier to have too much respect for big companies yeah. that we can yeah. somehow know everything which we certainly don't Can yeah. you said commitment in many ways the same kind of thing because a partnership is not the quick fix Partnership is not sort of getting to a a solution or an outcome very quickly. It takes a long time and it takes a good idea to actually start it. It takes the commitment to actually move it through. I think patience is important, honesty is important in all of that process. But without that, you're not going to get anywhere. But even though it's not a quick fix, it'll get you further than if you just try to go it alone. That's it. Thank you, Ulf, Meta, and Kim for joining me on stage and enlightening me on partnerships. There is no doubt that partnerships can and will be a strong part of how we get out of the climate and biodiversity crisis. That is, if we manage to find the right partners, have enough patience to let those partnerships grow strong, and create partnerships that deliver solutions that can enable us to counteract the increased lack of cohesion and the deglobalization that's unfortunately growing in societies around the world. Because Kim is right, a partnership is not and will not be a quick fix. It won't be easy. It won't solve everything all at once. But we will get further than if we try to do everything on our own. Remember to subscribe to Forest of the Future if you want to get notified of new episodes where we dive into other innovations or things we're doing in FSC. You can also always get in touch with me on podcast at fsc.org. I'm Laura Worm, and this was Forest of the Future. <laughs>